0: From the Boston Globe, this is Rhode Island Report, Ahmed Fitzpatrick. Welcome back to the podcast where we bring you big conversations from our very small state. We've got to start this episode with a topic everybody is talking about, who will replace Representative Jim Langevin now that he has decided to retire from Congress. My colleague Dan McGowan and I sit down to untangle who's running, who's thinking about it, and what it all means. Then we'll talk with House Minority Whip Catherine Kazurian about a bill that would make it easier to vote by mail or early in person. All of that after this quick break. Welcome back, I'm here with my colleague, Dan McGowan, to talk about the political free-for-all that is the race to replace Congressman Jim Langevin. How's it going, Dan?
1: Thanks for having me, this is gonna be fun.
0: You know, you and I have had a wild couple days here reporting on who's in and who's out of this race, but before we talk about that, can you give us some context why why is this
1: open seat such a big deal? Well, very simply, there're just there aren't that many seats in Congress in Rhode Island, right? There are two house seats, obviously there's the two senate seats. So you know, the fact that Jim Langevin is retiring after 11 terms, um, you know, it basically opens up a seat for the first time in a generation, I mean, a little more than a generation in some ways. And so I think every ambitious uh, Democrat in the state, it, you know, has had to kind of take a look at this. Um, and then it is, and we'll talk about this, but it is even more interesting because I think we're going to have a very competitive Republican side and and potentially a Republican um, winner uh, in that district. So I think that's why you get – there's just so much interest in it. Did anybody see this coming? No. I mean I didn't. Did you? No. <laughs> I, I would say um, you know I, I think we all thought that Congressman Langevin was going to stay because – uh, Rhode Island kept its two house seats. Right, we were all we all thought there was a chance you'd lose one seat, and then maybe there would be a chance to, um, you know, to to only have one seat, and so maybe you get a, a race between David Cicilline and Jim Langevin, or maybe, um, Jim Langevin would would run for governor or do something else, and you know when I talked to the congressman last week, um, shortly after he announced, he said, look, I took a serious look at governor. I I definitely was looking at that. But he said, you know, I I really want to do something else. And, you know, he kind of came to the decision over the holiday break uh, where he finally decided to kind of hang it up.
0: Yeah, uh, clearly the state redistricting commission didn't see it coming. They didn't change the congressional maps at all. So how does this complicate the governor's race?
1: Well, the big question is of course you have a, you know, kind of surplus of Democrats running in the governor's race. Um, You know, obviously you have the governor, Dan McKee, and he's facing, you know, primary from uh, state treasurer, Seth Magazine, or Secretary of State, Nellie Grabea, Helena Fulks, Matt Brown. Um, I think there was a really good, you know, this is kind of a good opening for one of those, or at least one of those candidates to potentially take a look at this race for Congress. Um, You know, we know that uh, I think right out of the gate on the day the congressman retired, he said, you know, maybe, maybe Nellie Gorbea should take a look at this. Uh, she was definitive. She said she is staying in the governor's race. We know that Helena Foulkes has said, I'm staying in the governor's race. The big question now, as you and I record, is whether Seth Magaziner will, will uh, decide to, to jump over and, and run for Congress
0: yeah he really left the door open with
1: the statement he issued on Sunday, didn't he? Yeah I mean you and I were spent the whole weekend chasing him around, couldn't get an answer. Then we get an answer, and it's just i'm in the uh, I'm remaining governor uh, in the governor's race at this time yeah, uh, yeah. we have no indication when he'll you know potentially make a decision, but we have every reason to believe through i think both of our sources um, that that he is strongly considering running for Congress.
0: You know, Seth Magaziner doesn't even live in the
1: second congressional district. Can he still run? Yeah, this is what's fascinating about Congress. I think we're all learning this as we go, but it turns out that uh, you only have to be age 25 and or older, and a resident of the, the state that you want to run in. So you, he, you're right. He, um, you know, I think he's lived in recent years in Bristol or on the east side of Providence. Uh, both are in the 1st Congressional District, but that doesn't matter. He can run for Congress in the 2nd District if he, like, if, he, if he likes to.
0: Magaziner leads the league when it comes to fundraising in the governor's race. He's got like $1.5 million. But can you just transfer that money
1: into a federal race? No, oh, I think all these guys would love to just be able to very easily uh spend their money in their campaign in their state campaign accounts. Uh it, it's a little more complicated than that. Um, you have to go back to 2010 when David Cicilline ran for Congress. Uh, he was the mayor of Providence and had plenty of money in his campaign account at the time. What you basically have to do is essentially give money back, give the the money back to your donors, and then ask them to write you a new check. Um, and and then you can deposit it. Now you're refunding them. If you're a good fundraiser, or somebody like a Seth Magaziner, you're going to have an operation that can make this happen relatively quickly. If you were, you know, a, a sort of a low-ranking state rep or city council person, it would be a little bit more complicated.
0: You know, there is not a Republican in the House from New England right now, but is there an opening for a moderate Republican, like maybe? former Cranston mayor, Alan Fung, to walk away with this seat? Absolutely.
1: I mean, I think this is, um, you know, I think early on in this, uh, just a week ago, we thought, oh, well, maybe Speaker Shikarchi, the, the house speaker, would run and he would clearly be the favorite. Um, you know, Alan Fung, big name recognition, was a successful mayor of Cranston. Um, you know, he, he's a guy who, who I think really could potentially be the favorite or close to the favorite in this race.
0: There's been a lot of interest in this race, but what does it really take to run for Congress? How many of these people have the cash or the connections to make a successful run for Congress?
1: Yeah, I mean, the big question is, can you raise money? Can you get the organization to do this? I mean, the truth is, guys like you and I, you know, maybe a lot of listeners to this podcast, you know all the na- the players and you know the big names. Truthfully, outside of the governor of Rhode Island, maybe the congressional delegation, maybe the mayor of Providence, nobody has major name recognition in the state, right? If you, you could be a state representative for 50 years, nobody knows who you are in, in the grand scheme of things. What you have to do when you're running for this, the you know, uh, an office that is essentially statewide, it's obviously half the state, but this will be a statewide race. Um, you know, you have to be able to raise Five hundred, six hundred thousand dollars, maybe a million dollars to to run a competitive race, and then more importantly, you need to get you know if you're Democratic primary, you need the to see where, where the labor unions are, you you know what kind of you know organizations are willing to support you. That's how you kind of drum up your name recognition. But it's a it's a short runway. I mean, we have less than a year until the primary, ten months until the primary. So you're going to see a lot of candidates kind of, I think, uh, get interested start to run. And then I think the field will probably shrink, um, you know, as you get closer to uh, filing deadlines. OK,
0: we're recording this at 2 p.m. on Tuesday. So as of right now, what do we know about who is running?
1: Yeah. It, strangely, for all the speculation that you and I, uh, you know, have, have, have had over the last couple of days, the only two candidates on the democratic side that have formally announced um are ed pacheco the former democratic party chairman uh, and a former state representative and omar ba you know a journalist uh who, who's well known i think in like the refugee community but is very little known in the state um and then the republican side bob Lancia, uh who, who's a former state representative who was running against jim Langevin. he, had, he ran last time he was going to run again um and we know senator uh jessica de la cruz is running uh and we're waiting on uh, Mayor Fung to, to make his decision, right? And there's a,
0: a ton of names beyond that. I think you and I might be the only two people not considering it at this at this point. Are you sure you're not? Um, I, that's why I brought you on today. I'm I'm announcing I'm not entering the race.
1: This was my chance to take over your podcast. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, you know we've we've both written about how the outgoing director of the health department, Doctor Alexander Scott is considering running for this race, what do you make
1: of that possibility? I think this is fascinating. Uh, you know, talk about somebody that has big time name recognition. You've seen her on television every single week and sometimes daily for the last couple of years. So she has plenty of name recognition. Of course, she's going to have some challenges. Look, there are people in the state that uh, certainly don't love mandates and masks and things like that. So she'd have to answer to that. She's got all this, you know, she this uh, reported contract of making $46,000 a month. 46000 a month? It's, it's a lot of money. It's, it's kind of what you make doing the podcast that's not that's not even McGowan money
0: um what's your prediction for the final matchup I I know you're a a
1: wagering type of uh guy What,
0: what what do you who do you see coming out of this on both sides
1: I feel like it's too soon to say although I would say that if Seth Magaziner the treasurer runs I think you could see a scenario where it's a Seth Magaziner versus Alan Fung matchup which would be a heavyweight match uh going into the general election
0: Dan, thanks for joining me today. I hope you get some time off this weekend. You too, Ed. Thanks for having me. Now we're gonna pivot to another hot topic in Rhode Island and around the country, voting rights. Voting rights legislation might be stalled in Congress, but a coalition of Rhode Islanders is working to expand voting access here in the Ocean State. They've put together what's called the Let R.I. Vote Act. It aims to remove barriers for residents who wanna vote by mail, or early in person. House Majority Whip Catherine Kazarian is one of the sponsors of that legislation. Welcome, Rep. Kazarian. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. It's exciting to be here. Before we talk about voting rights, I want to get your take on the hot topic this week. Representative Jim Langevin isn't running again. What do you make of all the musical chairs to fill his seat in Congress?
2: Well, first I want to thank uh, Congressman Langevin for serving the state of Rhode Island so well for so many years. Um, It's sad to see him go, but it is exciting to see uh, so much fervor around uh, this new seat being open. Um, And it's great to see so many names of people either thinking about announcing or coming out and announcing today. Um, It's been fun to watch and exciting to see.
0: You entered politics right after graduating from college when a seat unexpectedly opened up in your district. And you were the youngest candidate in that race, the only woman in the race. What would you say to some of these less established uh, politicians who are thinking about running for Congress now?
2: Well, first thing I would say is a lot of people think that they can't run for office. And the thing I would tell you is you can. Um, I was very young. Uh, I was inspired by President Barack Obama uh, during the commencement speech at my college graduation. And I felt like I had something to offer. I felt like I had energy, I felt like I had time, and I knew I cared about the issues and I cared about my city. So the advice I would offer to people who are thinking about running is to go for it and to work as hard as you can, surround yourself by the best people, and always make sure that the message that you're putting out there is you, is something you're comfortable with and something that you stand for.
0: So let's talk about the Let Rhode Island Vote Act. It's my understanding it makes some of the temporary pandemic-related voting changes permanent, right?
2: That's correct. You know, spring of 2020, COVID changed the way we do many things, including the way that we vote. Uh, We wanted to make sure that people were able to vote in a safe way, and a secure way. So the Let Rhode Island Vote bill would codify a lot of those changes while also maintaining the security of our elections.
0: One thing uh, during the pandemic, that Rhode Island changed was we waived the requirement that you had to get two witnesses or a notary to use a mail ballot. Is that back in in force now? And what would the bill do about that?
2: Um, our bill would eliminate that notary and two signature requirement. The Board of Elections told us that that was not a necessary, um, not a necessary thing to have for mail ballots. And um, I'm excited to see that this bill includes getting rid of that that impediment to voting.
0: And I remember when the re- Republican Party in Rhode Island challenged the waiver of those requirements. It went all the way to the to the Supreme Court, and the argument from the Republicans was that we need the notary and witness requirements to guard against voter fraud.
2: What What's your response to that? Well, like I said, the Board of Elections has been so helpful, um, not only in helping us, you know, work through the legislation, but also in talking us through the different processes that uh, the ballots go through when they're being counted at the Board of Elections. So something they mentioned to us is that requiring this notary and the two signature verification, that's not something that the Board of Elections checks uh, when they come to the board. So they're not checking the notary to make sure it's a valid notary. They're not checking the two witnesses. They're only checking the signature of that voter to ensure that that ballot was cast by that voter. So learning about the processes, how the board works, how elections are actually run in the state, uh, did make me feel very confident in eliminating that impediment for people who want to cast a mail ballot. Is there anything
0: in the act that goes farther than just codifying the election changes made during
2: the pandemic? Um yeah and actually it's it's a um a part of the bill that would make that would add to the security and the safety of our elections it would require the secretary of state to check the voter rolls four times a year to ensure that they are they are updated Um, and they have the best available data for for voters in Rhode Island.
0: How often do we check check on the voter rolls now to uh, update them?
2: Well, right now there's no standard practice, and a lot of my colleagues really like having a practice in place, um, making it four times a year to ensure that everybody who's registered to vote and on the voter rolls, um, all that data and information is correct.
0: You know, when you look at states where Democrats control both chambers of the legislature and the governor's office, in 2021, they all passed expansions of voter access and rights, except Rhode Island. So why didn't the assembly pass the uh, Let Rhode Island Vote Act last
2: year? So I think what happened with the Let Rhode Island Vote Bill is it still had some work that needed to be done to it. We got so many other things done. We just didn't have time to do this. But even after session, both myself and, and my Senate sponsor, uh, Chairwoman Oyer, uh, worked and continued to work on this legislation to ensure that it would be ready um, and hopefully be successful for this session.
0: Yeah, what are the chances of the legislation passing this
2: year? I know there's gonna be a kickoff event this week. What's the outlook? I'm feeling really positive. I've had so many colleagues that have, that have talked to me about the bill um, who have also offered to co-sponsor the bill with me. Um, I, I'm feeling good about it. So
0: let's pivot to the national conversation about voting rights. How are you feeling about the Senate's
2: inability to pass a voting rights pa- package last week? I'm feeling disheartened, um, but I also feel like I'm I'm watching the rerun of a show. You you we've seen this time and time again with Washington. We have something really important, um, something that's going to help all Americans, and it seems to get caught up in. Um, some small uh, glitch or some small issue, and it stops any action from happening. I do think this relates back to our Let Rhode Island Vote Bill and why it is so important that we do pass this, again, to protect Rhode Islanders' uh, freedom to vote, their right to vote, and make sure that, um, that, that it's available for them here.
0: Last year, you sponsored a bill to stop the General Assembly from deciding who performs individual marriage ceremonies. Why was that important to do?
2: Um, well, I had a, a constituent actually reach out to me after we had uh, adjourned one session, and she asked me to sponsor solemnization of Marriage. I was so sad to tell her that the session had already adjourned and there was nothing that we could do. You know, being a bride myself, I know how stressful it is to plan a wedding. And um, I thought, you know, what can we do to make this process simpler, to make it, um, to modernize it, to make sure it's accessible to everyone all year long. Um, so I was very happy to, to pass that bill last year um, and to now have that process available to all brides um, and, and grooms uh, all year long online.
0: So that bill passed. So why is the assembly still voting on solemnization of marriage bills?
2: The reason is because that bill passed um, creating an online process for people, but it did not eliminate that process that we also had at the General Assembly. So now uh, Rhode Islanders have two different ways to apply for a solemnization of marriage, either through the General Assembly or online all year long.
0: Sources tell me that you are getting married in August, so when will you be introducing a solemnization
2: of marriage bill? That is a great question. I am still planning my wedding and have not completely figured out um, the part of, of who will be marrying us. But once I do, I believe I will actually be applying for the solemnization online. <laughs> Make it easier and get it done quickly. <laughs>
0: Very good. Rep Kazarian, thanks so much for joining me today.
2: Oh, thank you so much, Ed. I appreciate it. I had a wonderful time.
0: Here are some other stories to check out this week in Globe Rhode Island. There's been a ban on happy hours at local restaurants and bars since 1985, but a bill in the General Assembly would change that. My colleague, Alexa Gagas, reports that not everyone in the hospitality industry thinks that's a good idea. What should replace the blue wave on Rhode Island's license plates? Brian Amaral reports that 900 people have some ideas. Check out his article to see images of the submissions in the state's license plate design contest. Brian also has a story about a new report on the effects of climate change in Rhode Island. Spoiler alert, state's gotten warmer and wetter, and those trends are not changing anytime soon. Find those stories and more at globe.com slash Rhode Island. That's globe.com slash Rhode Island. Here at Rhode Island Report, we are getting ready to interview all of the candidates for governor. What would you ask them? email your ideas to rinews at globe.com. You might hear your question on the podcast. Rhode Island Report is a production of the Boston Globe. Today's episode was produced by Megan Hall, Carlos Munoz, and Scott Hellman. Audio mixing and mastering by Marissa Ewing of Hemlock Creek Productions. Our music is from APM. Ahmed Fitzpatrick, see you next week.